I sincerely think that we are on the edge of something great. I think that sustainability in construction and building materials is going to be the new Silicon Valley. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software Great Tech Group. You're invited to join our conversation to model the future of construction, innovation, and the digital transformation adventure of this great industry. My guest today is Britta Teller. She's the Chief Sustainability Officer and co-founder at Stellar Forest. Five years ago, she pivoted away from her PhD academic career in ecology and statistics to co-found Stellar Forest in Tyrone, Pennsylvania. Today, her team uses their exciting and innovative hardwood floors to make a positive difference in both global climate change and in their rural Pennsylvania area. Welcome to the show, Britta. Thanks for having me, Todd. I'm so excited to join the podcast. Likewise, likewise. So I I got to start by hearing the story of how a PhD finds her way into the construction industry. <sighs> Well, I like to, I do like to call it my millennial hard left, right? You know, (laughs) there's a lot of quiet quitting going on these days, but actually at the time, I feel like there was a lot of loud quitting going on. (laughs) So people just were like, I hate this job. I'm out. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That was not the case for me specifically. It was sort of a dramatic change. Um, I grew up in the suburbs and every time I was out in the woods, I was just fascinated um, by different animals, different plants. You know, I was that kid who was knee deep in the river pulling crawdads out. I wouldn't do that anymore. I, it, for some reason it was cool then. It's not cool now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But um, I fell in love with nature and, um, and I also fell in love with education. All of my teachers really inspired me. And I really thought, you know, if I could be a professor one day, that would be the amazing career. And I was really committed to it for something like a decade. Um, so I did a PhD in ecology. I actually studied how seeds float on the wind. Uh, turns out to be a bunch of math uh, and aerodynamics. <laughs> it, it's weird. Uh, a lot of statistics and uh, and chasing seeds, obviously, across fields. Um, and um, I did a postdoc in climate change. Um, and then I became a teaching professor at Penn State. So I was teaching intro bio courses for hundreds of students every semester. And I was teaching students two things. One, I was teaching them biology. So I was teaching them about climate change and how important it is to do things that are sustainable uh, just for the health of the planet um, and biodiversity. But I was also teaching them that they could do anything and they could save the world. Um, And meanwhile, my husband was working in wood products and Evan um, had invented a flooring assembly system. Um, and that's what Stellar Floors is today. Um, and he said to me, should I be as educated as you? Should I go to law school? And I said, no, that sounds expensive. <laughs> so it sounds cheaper, actually, to hire a lawyer and see if that invention you came up with uh, is patentable. Um, and so we actually ended up investing in trying to apply for the patent. Um, and we ended up getting it. Um, And that was the moment where I really had to decide, you know, do I stay with this kind of safe career 
Um, and I know I can make an impact on people for sure. I can help people understand why climate change is a problem. Or do I dive head into this natural product, this hardwood product, and help people understand how to make materials and manufacturing and construction more sustainable? Um, and I just took the leap. I, I can't really say why. Um, it was different and exciting. And it has been lows and highs starting a manufacturing company as a PhD in plant biology. Um, but um, I sincerely think that we are on the edge of something great. I think that sustainability in construction and building materials is going to be the new Silicon Valley. I think that honestly, there's going to be such a, an explosion of diversity and innovation in building products and specifically sustainable green building products um, that I'm glad I made the switch <laughs> for all the highs and lows. Um, I'm excited to be part of the construction industry and people who are rolling up their sleeves and doing the very hard work of making buildings and people's homes more sustainable. Um, and so I'm, I'm thrilled to be part of the community. Um, and, you know, I miss my academic days. I miss the camaraderie, I guess, of being a total nerd. Um, but, you know, fortunately, I have access to other nerds, right, Todd? <laughs> That's right. That's right. There's a lot of nerds over here in construction. Yeah, Don't worry. I've joined the club over here. That's right. Nice. Uh, so what kind of learning curve was there coming in from uh, a very different world coming into construction? And maybe a second part of that, how did your, your science background, how did that help equip you to come into construction? Well, I would say there's two things. It's not as big of a jump as you'd think um, because it's different lingo, but it's all mm -hmm. the same stuff, right? So in biology, like I mentioned, I was doing statistics. I was doing modeling. It's all the same tools in accounting and business growth. Um, if you're doing projections for your business, it's not so different than tracking a population of plants spreading, you know, instead of plants, I'm tracking dollars and products and inventory. Um, yeah. So those tools are really parallel, but they have different words. So you totally have to be willing to drum, jump in on the lingo. Like for a long time, I was really angry about like QuickBooks journal entries because I'm like, why do we call this a journal entry? It is not a journal. I am not writing my feelings. <laughs> this is <laughs> this is a data table. <laughs> like why yeah. why is this even named this? This is a dumb thing to name this. Um, so you get hung up on weird things like that, where it's like this accounting principle is bonkers and everything's named different things. Um, and we like acronyms in construction as well, too. Oh my gosh. Oh, the alphabet soup <laughs> over here. I'll tell you, that is another thing. Um, but academics love their alphabet soup, too. And so I think the biggest skill that I brought from my academic background to the business world and the construction world is questions. Do not be afraid to ask questions. Dumb questions, brilliant questions, questions. Because, you know, there's and I would ask anybody, I'd be at a gas station being like, so two by four, is that exactly how it's measured or is it just close? <laughs> right? 
And, and if that person didn't know, I'd ask the next person. I'd ask the next person, right? Um, so generally speaking, like a tenacity to just like get that question answered and be confident that that's the right answer. And I've asked enough people to know <laughs> that a journal entry is really what I think it is. Um, that I think, yeah. um, you know, has been really important. There, there was one segment, so specifically in wood products, I was so embarrassed to ask questions for a long time. And that really, I think, was a huge mistake. It might be the biggest mistake that I made. Um, and I think it was because I wanted to be part of the community so badly um, that I, I was embarrassed to ask questions. Um, and I didn't want to look like an idiot. Um, but when I finally started asking those questions, it turns out the community is so welcoming and they're not, you know, nobody's looking down on you because, you know, you can't tell the difference between red oak and white oak, right? Um, and, and you have to learn these things sometime, right? You're not born knowing the difference between different species of oak. Um, and so, yeah, so I think, um, you know, it's really important to ask lots of questions and, um, and if anything, I didn't ask enough. Yeah, that's one of the things that I really appreciate about the construction industry. So I come from a whole marketing background. So I wasn't, you know, getting come of age in the, the construction industry. So I feel total license to ask the stupid questions as well, too. And just let my curiosity go where it will. And I think in this industry, people welcome those questions. It seems like it on the surface that they want it and that they would kind of look down at you and be like, oh, you don't know this. This is such a waste of time for me to answer this, but it's the opposite. It's true. They, they find out really quickly that you don't know yeah. what they're talking about. <laughs> you can't hide it very well. Yes. <laughs> at least I couldn't. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so go and ask the dumb questions. They appreciate the, the honesty of like, yeah. Hey, I, I'm, I'm willing to learn, but you got to tell me what you're talking about. Cause I have no idea what you just said. Yeah. And then you tell me and I'll, I'll go out and I'll do what needs to be done there. But, Absolutely. And I think, you know, based on a lot of the questions that I'm, or a lot of the conversations I'm having in green products, at Green Build, at AIA, thinking about green materials, this is an all hands on deck moment. And literally no one is prepared to deal with the scale of the problems the construction industry has, right? When 40% of carbon emissions are attributable to construction, right? everything we do has the power to make a difference, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when people invest more time in craftsmanship, so it lasts longer, they're making a material impact on the planet, right? Not just in that building, not just for that homeowner, not just for that commercial space that looks nicer now and will last a little bit longer. We're helping the planet, right? Um, and it's an emergency. We have to get moving. Um, and I think that means we need more people from other fields to join the field, right? And we need to join, we need them to join on now. And it doesn't matter what part of their career they're in right now. You know, you're about to retire, get on board. You just graduated, get on board. Everybody on the board, right? Everybody ask questions, everybody talk. Let's start trying to solve these problems. You know, let's reduce carbon emissions today. Um, and don't be embarrassed to ask those questions, right? Because it's, there's going to be a lot of new people in this industry um, and you just can't hold back, right? You, and, and 
we're all responsible, all, all of us who ask the dumb questions, right? <laughs> then we're responsible for answering them. Um, and I think that that makes the community bigger and wiser and better. Um, so I think it's, it's positive all around when you have the courage to be like, I'm a dumb dumb. <laughs> like, I, yeah. like I'm here and I'm trying really hard, uh, but I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I like that. And so you, for the, the last week, since the last time we talked on the, the prep call, uh, for those interested in how the, the sausage is made there. <laughs> uh, you've had me really just noodling over uh, something that you said uh, that I, I thought was so profound. And, and you said, we have to make the, the aspirational uh, practical to the, the individual and connect those dots. Because as you just said, it, it's a big problem. Sustainability is it's a huge, there's so many different facets to it. It, it can seem really overwhelming. It can seem, uh, you know, almost pie in the sky, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know it has to be fixed, but that's it's somebody else's problem. That's like the industry as a whole. It's a collective problem. But yes. if no individual connects with that and takes ownership of it and makes it practical for them, mm-hmm. nothing ever really gets done. We don't push that ball further down the field. Yeah. Um, so, uh, can you kind of expand on, on how... How do you make that aspirational, yeah. practical on the individual level? Absolutely. And, and sustainability has this crazy irony to me, right? And, and maybe this is my millennial background. There's an irony here, which is sustainability seems like this big, impossible pro- problem, right? You got to drive to work. You got to drink your Pepsi out of a can, right? Like you have to live in the world, right? Like the, sh- the shirt I'm wearing is synthetic, right? That's plastic, right? Okay, right? <laughs> like, I got to live. I got to wear a shirt. I'm cold, right? Um, I got to buy stuff that's available. Especially up in shelf. Pennsylvania. Yeah, you know. <laughs> right. I can't just go chase a sheep up there. <laughs> and, and knit a sweater. Are you guys crazy? Right? So it seems impossible, right? But all at the same time, too, you want to belittle it. You want to be like, oh, yeah, me recycling this can. You know, who gives a crap, right? And mm. I think that that's... Um, there's the irony of it's both too big and um, and also kind of like, is this just about recycling? I feel like we're still having a conversation about recycling. And we absolutely are, but it's more nuanced than that. So, so in the sense that we do have to make these problems tractable on an individual level so that everybody feels like they can actually make a big difference. And especially in construction, the opportunity is so is so much bigger than I think anybody really realizes yet. You know, um, in veterinary science, you know, you've got to use a syringe. You're going to throw that syringe away so that you don't give the next animal a disease, right? That you're going to put that in the trash. But in construction, you can make reusable product decisions, right? You can reclaim things. You can reuse things. You can make things last longer. You can repair things instead of throwing them away, right? These are real things that have material impact on the planet and on landfills and on how many trips you have to make. Um, so, so in a way, you know, folks who are working in construction and building materials, architecture, interior design, they have sort of the biggest chance to play Captain Planet, you know, Um, and it doesn't come back to planting trees or sort of recycling all your cans. It comes back to the real work you do, the real work you love, do more of it, right? Um, And and invest in those things. Um, And that is a green decision. You know, craftsmanship is the new green, guys. Like, let's take ownership of that. Um, 
and be proud of the work that we're doing. You know, sometimes we're covered in dust and we're in mud up to our knees. And that's the hard work. That's where the hard gritty work is. That's where we're going to solve the problems. Yeah. So how are you uh, helping to then empower the the craftsmen locally? And if I can play off Captain Planet, because, you know, that just saying to my my millennial heart as well (laughs) how do you give them the the power rings of you know earth wind (laughs) water fire (laughs) well and it comes back to responsibility right so i feel the same way about my you know aluminum pepsi can as i feel about our hardwood floors right so um i feel like pepsi bottles are pepsi's problem they are distributing an addictive caffeinated beverage (laughs) in a material that damages the planet that's it's your job to like figure out how to d- deal with that material waste stream right but for me i started a flooring company this is my job right my job is to make life easier on people in the field to reduce waste to make sure they're not throwing away useful material um and what that means is you know, and, and again, one of the reasons since I quit the career that's behind me, I wasn't going to start a business to make a product that wasn't worth making or worth buying, right? So to me, investing in craftsmanship, in flooring, in our product, in our hardwood product, investing in our supply chain so that we're bringing quality to the supply chain, we're sourcing from people who are doing the right thing and investing in their Uh, quality and their quality product, it reduces the amount of, for instance, overage that you would buy from us in our hardwood flooring company. So in flooring, generally people are recommending 10 to 15% overage. And I have gotten into like knuckle, bare knuckle fights on Instagram with people about overage and flooring. And they're like, I drop so much flooring, I need 10 to 15% just to deal with like getting to the corners and edges of rooms. And so like we actually did a flooring install and I took a picture of the waste and it was two and a half percent, right? And that was for cuts because when we make a floor, when we ship a floor, if that plank is defective and doesn't meet our specs, we're going to replace it. I don't send you trash so that you can throw it away. But one of the big secrets in the flooring industry is it's faster for me to just throw trash into the box and send it to you and here you throw this away right no i'm not going to make trash in the first place like you won't see trash leaving my facility and finished planks right we are Mm -hmm. so careful about our waste stream that you don't buy overage because you're going to reject planks from me god forbid right and that also gets back to craftsmanship on our manufacturing floor Our employees who are craftspeople who are trained to identify defects and identify planks that don't match spec by feel. They're touching the planks, they're handling the planks four or five times through our facility. You know, we're paying folks living wages and providing upwardly mobile careers in craftsmanship on our manufacturing floor to make sure that the job on the job site is quick, right? We're not, you're not going to be looking at this going, I, this is trash, right? And if you do, I'm going to be just as mad about it as you are, right? Because, you know, you should not be thinking as a contractor that my job is almost expressly just sweating, 
right? <laughs> you know, there's so many more important things on a job site to making that job valuable. I should be making my product good enough to get out of your way, right? And so, you know, when we set out to make our flooring, our floors are manufactured within thousands of an inch, right? And the material spec in the National Hardwood Flooring Association is usually about a, six, a 16th because that's what's measurable, right? A 32nd would be kind of mind blowing, right? But we're talking 0.005, right? Um, and, and that measurement is all about our machining tolerances. We have climate control on our manufacturing floor. Um, and that is all about making sure that when these planks arrive on site, they're as easy to assemble as possible. Um, and then obviously as folks who are installing the floors and interacting with the floors, these are designed to be reused. You know, that is an opportunity, uh, have, installing a stellar floor and being part of our community means repeat service for a floor, right? So with a hardwood floor, usually you go to install it and people don't need to replace it for 30 years, right? Um, they might need refinishing and then you're going to have to lug like a hundred pound or 200 pound sander into their house. Well, with a stellar floor, because it's assembled without nails or glue, you can re remove a plank with a suction cup, right? You have lots of opportunities to return to that job site and help that homeowner, right? Th this is increased opportunity. All of a sudden, they also need a repair on their window or they need a repair in their bathroom. You know, being an on-site service provider and being able to repair and refinish planks on a spot basis is cheaper for the client, but it also gives you more access to that interior space where people trust you to manage a floor that's easy to maintain and keep looking nice. Um, mm -hmm. So our assembly system definitely allows contractors to have a more extended relationship with their, with their uh, clients and also allows them to sort of you know, get those jobs done quickly so that you can do more of them and you have more clients. A lot of our uh, local contractors that we work with talk about how they hate hardwood flooring jobs. Even though there's a list of 10 that they could potentially do, they can only take one and then they have to tell the other nine no. And it's like, I would love for my product to be perfect enough and go down fast enough that you can say yes to all 10, right? That's a yeah. huge increase opportunity. Bridging the Gap is powered by Graytech Group. As a global BIM and modeling expert, Graytech is dedicated to empowering construction and manufacturing professionals to digitize and industrialize their processes to improve performance and build a sustainable tomorrow. With more than 30 years in the industry, they know how to be your partner in a world where change is the new normal and always strive to enable their customers to gain an increased competitive advantage to model the future. Visit greatech-group.com for more information. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, by reducing the, the waste, so to speak, on uh, the efficiency side of things and, and being able to, to get to more projects, uh, creating more kind of sustainable, uh, sustainable life yeah. <laughs> for the, the craftsmen. What's the connection between that sustainable life philosophy and, and model with sustainable environment? Absolutely. So when you have a product, I mean, 
my philosophy is why refinish corners of the room you never walked on, right? If you have um, a, a whole floor, a whole amount of wood that's been harvested from a forest and people have put a lot of time and energy into making, why refinish corners of the room you never walked on? So for one, we're limiting the amount of waste created by, you know, sort of refinishing things that don't need to be refinished. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes you don't even need to repair the plank, right? So that means that you could actually just use a suction cup, remove that plank, put it under the couch, and take the one under the couch and put it out in the middle of the room, right? So if you need a spot fix like that, no big deal. Um, the other thing that happens is we get a lot of clients with flood damage. So increasingly storms are getting more dramatic and more problematic. You know, water comes through windows, water comes through doors, sometimes floods happen. With a floor that's assembled without nails or glue, you can access those flooded areas really quickly, respond to the issue, dry everything out and reassemble your floor instead of just looking at it with a giant puddle on it and watching it respond to water and go, oh my God, this whole floor is damaged. Um, in fact, in insurance claims for floods, floors are near the bottom of the, of the building and hardwood floors are usually pretty expensive. So one of the biggest expenses for insurance companies is actually hardwood floor repairs because the whole thing has to be replaced. And of course, mm -hmm. insurance adjusters don't want to replace the whole thing. So they're like, oh, only this da area is damaged. And you go, no, the whole thing has to match, right? Well, right. with a floor that's modular, right, you get this opportunity to just repair the damaged areas. So you have a much higher chance of actually being able to recoup, you know, the, the value from your insurance company when, when that damage happens. Um, yeah. And then you throw less out. Can you imagine only having a corner of your room damaged from water and then having to throw out the entire floor? Like, it's incredible. It's incredibly frustrating. <laughs> Disheartening. <laughs> right. And so, so we're just sort of peeling back the layers of waste that happen in flooring and sort of restoring wood products to a space that we know that we, we have this intimate relationship with wood floors as, as humans, right? I think our relationship with wood products, I saw that the earliest figurine of a wood carving was found like 12,500 years is like the, the age. And it was found like in a Russian peat bog yeah. or something, you know, wow. uh, and, you know, wood being on the floor of cabins of homes is like super like well-known. Um, but, um, you know, hardwood floors have become like an American staple. We love living on them. They're warm. They have great character. You know, they have great acoustics. Um, and, you know, they just make a space feel a lot warmer than, say, like a polished concrete floor or an LVP sure. or laminate floor. Um, yeah. But because they're hard to repair and replace, people get intimidated by them. And so here at Stellar Floors, we're trying to, like, make the ultimate hardwood floor right we we don't want anybody to be intimidated by the the process of loving and owning a hardwood floor anymore so so we've tried to bake in all the goodness we can possibly bake into it you know like quality reusable refinishable you know all, easy to install easy to we've even auctioned a floor on ebay <laughs> So you can even resell your floor. Um, as you can tell, we're, we're very, very excited about the opportunity to, to show off, um, you know, sort of like 
a different side of hardwoods. Yeah, I love that. And the passion I mean, more than <laughs> more than shines through. It's awesome. Uh, very You've cool. never met somebody uh, as obsessed with hardwood floors. <laughs> hey, it's great. You, you got to. Yeah. Uh, what's a, a trend, sustainability trend that we should be paying attention to this year? Oh, my gosh. You know, I, I've been watching this very, very closely. Um, obviously, I'm obsessed with everything that's happening on an environmental level. Um, but I'm also obsessed with carbon emissions with buildings and scope three emissions and the new SEC rules. So, and, and this is really important. And I know it sounds like really like far out and like impossible. Um, the SEC, the Security Exchange Commission, is writing up rules that says that Fortune 500 companies, really people who have, are publicly traded, companies that are publicly traded, are going to need to disclose their scope three emissions. And that includes the buildings that they build, their commercial you know, assets. They're going to have to disclose how much carbon is embodied in those buildings under scope three emissions. And that is going to put strain on the supply chain all the way down, right? And that's gonna affect building products, it's gonna affect contractors, it's gonna affect architects. Um, and even if the rules don't go into effect this year, they're sending a signal, right? They're saying, look, the, the United States has signed a whole bunch of climate agreements that we actually have no idea how we're gonna like comply with <laughs> eventually we're gonna have to do these things because we said we would you know and it's gonna come back on everybody it's not just contractors it's gonna come back on farmers it's gonna come back on you know folks in data you know big data the the uh, emissions from server farms you know it's gonna come back through the entire ecosystem that we're gonna have to start declaring our carbon emissions um low embodied carbon products like wood products make a huge contribution and a positive difference in scope three emissions. So wherever you can use wood instead of plastic, those are gonna be really easy substitutions to make um, when those things become an issue. And the second thing that's happening sort of in the US that, um, is the Inflation Reduction Act has specified that in construction that is funded by federal pro federal money from the Inflation Reduction Act, um, even if a dollar comes down, right, is partially funding uh, part of the construction. So let's say you're building a, a library in Kansas City and you're using federal dollars. Um, it may be as basic as a train station or, you know, a little water treatment plant. All the construction materials, the steel, the lumber, they have to be BABA certified. And this, this is a new law that went into effect with the Inflation Reduction Act last year. And BABA means build America, buy America. And so keep an eye out for those products that are manufactured in America, not just because it's the right thing to do. It lowers your carbon footprint overall and you invest in your community and you invest in craftsmanship in your own backyard. Um, but also those federal projects are gonna require it. Um, so I think moving forward, you know, if, if you're in construction, if you're in interior design, if you're an architect, investing and educating yourself about green initiatives and green building products at, at 
trade shows like Green Build. Green Build's going to be in Washington, D.C. this year. I think it's going to be huge. It's going to blow up um, because so many people are curious about how to make their process more environmentally friendly uh, to make sure that they're maybe maybe if you're not even doing perfectly, but you're just doing better than you were before, right? Um, I think that everybody's going to be turning over a new leaf and it's going to be representative of competition moving forward. Yeah, I'm a big believer in 1% improvements. Yes. Those stack up so much over time yeah. and make a huge impact. You don't have to go from A to Z yep. in one step and you won't. And if you try, frankly, you're 99% you're going to fail. But if you take those small little adjustments, yes, you look back and that's a huge uh, A to Z step yep. that you didn't realize that you took. Yep. And, and those things you can be proud of, you know, it's, it's, yeah. you know, doing your job better and also doing better in a sustainable context is it's like, you know, green check marks all the way down. So I think that those are really, ex they're win-wins, right? You get to yeah, win because absolutely. you're doing a better job and you get to win because it's a win for the planet. Yeah. Uh, so what does innovation mean to you? Innovation. Oh my gosh. Thinking outside the box, you know, I think, um, innovation, <sighs> go break stuff. Um, and then figure out how to fix it. You know, why is it broken? Um, I think when, certainly when Evan came up with this flooring, um, concept, um, what, what is that, um, that phrase adversity is, uh, the, it stimulates all kinds of new thoughts, you know, signing up for hard yeah, yeah. things, you, you become a problem solver. Um, and I think that's, sure. that's where discoveries can really happen. Um, it's diffuse because I don't think I've ever really defined innovation, but I guess what I mean is, um, if you set yourself up to solve problems by choosing a hard path, you're <laughs> certainly an innovator. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> it's very well boiled way. down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like it. You, you either <laughs> you either become an innovator or you oh, don't. Yeah. Or you don't, and <laughs> you're not, and you don't yeah. win. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, In order, yeah, you definitely the innovators have gone through the hard path. Yeah, and made it. But <laughs> yeah, you've come out the other side. Not everybody that goes the hard path is an innovator, but if you're an innovator, you've gone through yeah, the hard we'll path. Yeah, we'll make it graceful one day. But I, I like yeah. that, you know, one time my dad said to me, he goes, I'm here for you, kid. Win or draw. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, um, you know, most of the innovations, well, gosh, this year, I mean, in this decade, this lifetime is such an exciting time to be an innovator. There's so many things. If you have an invention that you want to see come to life, 3D printers are cheap, right? You know, 3D modeling programs are free, right? There's free 3D modeling programs on the internet. What? Right? Um, you know, advertising is much more accessible. Um, you know, digital sort of like design is more accessible. Like what an incredible time to be an innovator. Um, I, I'm grateful that we didn't start our business 20 years ago. I think it would have been basically impossible. 
Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm glad, you know, we're, we're in this era and it's a much better time to be an innovator than I think in times past. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so how do people find out more information and connect with you? Yeah, so we are at floorsbystellar.com, um, S-T-E-L-L-E-R. Uh, our company is has the misspelled name because my husband's last name is Stover and my last name is Teller. And when you mash them together, you get Stellar. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> uh, it started as a joke and then it stuck. Um, so yeah, floors by Stellar with an ER.com. Um, and this year we have our Make It Scene campaign coming out, which has live videos every week uh, to give insights into our manufacturing company where we're making high craft, high value wood products right here in the US and making investments in craftsmanship and sustainability. So if you're curious, uh, we're, we're opening our doors this year and, and showing off um, all the things that we're doing here in central Pennsylvania. Love it. Well, final question for you. If I could give you all power, you could snap your fingers and innovate one thing in construction. What would you innovate? Darn it. I was thinking forestry. I, the first thing I, I was like, I know what it is in forestry. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, that could be the bonus question. Oh, in flooring, uh, we need one of those robot dogs to carry flooring in the building. Um, I think everyone would agree that carrying flooring into a building sucks. Um, so if anybody's got ideas for how to get one of those robot dogs to carry flooring around, um, I think, um, it, yeah, you just have to make a lot of trips. There's a lot of, you know, you got to get a wagon or something. Um, so I think to me, the biggest pain in the butt about flooring jobs is actually carrying the materials into the room you need to install them in. Uh, yeah. So that there has to be a robot dog that can do that. <laughs> I'm I sure mean, there's, it can do seems, it. That seems immensely doable. <laughs> Who can afford it? Uh, snap my fingers. That's, and that's a different everybody question. Everybody gets a yeah. robot dog. <laughs> there you go. I like it. Well, Britta, thanks so much. This was awesome. Uh, really enjoyed the, the conversation. Awesome. I appreciate it, Todd. And now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take. A natural curiosity is a great thing. Be bold and ask the questions that come to mind. Don't be afraid to look silly. The honest truth is you're going to look sillier in the long run if you don't ask the question. Second take, if we want to truly accomplish big aspirational goals like sustainability, then it is incumbent to make sure we connect the goal to the practical reality of the individual. And final take, go break things and figure out how to fix it. I loved Britta's sentiment that innovators have chosen the hard path and survived. We can only grow and improve when we are willing to get outside of our comfort zone. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software Great Tech Group at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining the conversation to model the future on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is hosted, directed, and produced by Todd Wyant, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software, great tech group production, copyright applied software, great tech group, 2023.